Hello and welcome to another episode of the Races Formula E podcast. I'm your host Andrew Vanderberg and joining me is the reigning Formula E champion Antonio Felix da Costa. Now this podcast should have been taken in the much warmer confines of the Santiago paddock but sadly we're going to have to do it remotely as the 2021 season has been delayed by six weeks due to the ongoing disruption caused by the pandemic. But as ever, it's a pleasure to catch up with Antonio. We'll go into the season with the aim of defending his title in what will be his second year with DS to Cheetah. He's one of the most gifted drivers of his generation, got to the edge of Formula One and a drive with Tyro Rosso in 2013, only for his career to take a different but successful route through the DTM, Formula E of course, and endurance racing. Prior to that, he was a highly respected driver in a variety of junior single-seater categories, winning races in Formula 3, including two Macau Grand Prix, GP3 and the Renault World Series. He was a factory BMW driver for five seasons and starred in LMP2 outings for the Jota team alongside Anthony Davidson. But it's in Formula E that De Costa has tasted his greatest success, with four E-Prix wins and a dominant 2020 title in his most successful year to date. Now on the eve of the 2021 season, he joins us today. Antonio, a warm welcome. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about where you are? Hey guys, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, so in, I'm in the, like an hour south of Lisbon. Uh, we have a place here like a, in the countryside. So they just put Portugal under full lockdown yesterday as the cases have been ramping up a little bit and just to try and control things a bit, so I decided to, to come south, to come to the south of, of Lisbon. Um, yeah, you know, I have my dirt bikes here and stuff, so I can get away from the city and breathe some pure, pure uh, fresh air to charge some batteries ahead of the season. That sounds lovely and uh, better than being in my uh, office at the back of my garden. Um, joining me as ever is our man in the former e-paddock, although it's been so long since he's been at a race, I might have to change that uh, description for him. Sam Smith. Uh, Sam, we always start off these chats with your thoughts on the person we're interviewing. So what are your first memories of uh, Antonio? Oh, for me, it's pretty clear, actually. It was back in 2012. I think it was at Silverstone during the Renault 3.5 race. And I, I just remember Antonio sort of coming quite late to the series. I think he was dovetailing it with GP3 that year. And he just stood out pretty quickly because he was well, he's pretty simple. He was overtaking many more people than anyone else on the on the grid, <laughs> and um, it's um, kind of hard to pinpoint what it was. But he, he just had this flair, and I made a mental note that day of someone who, along with top guys like Bianchi and and Bird and Frines, was was just on it, you know, to say the least. Since then, I reckon I've seen most of his races in Formula E and, and sports cars and so on, and and suffice to say, my first impressions, I think. Were, were pretty positive and, and spot on. You know, he's a, a consummate professional and, and somebody who's made a, a fine career for himself. So, so yeah, it's uh, amazing to think it's nearly a decade ago, but way back in, in 2012, seems, uh, seems like yesterday in some ways. Oh, well, Antonio, we mentioned at the top of the show that we ought to be in Santiago right now. How hard for it as a driver dealing with these uh, delays to the season and rearranged calendars and so forth? Yeah, so it, it's it's more like to do with all the planning that we have. You know, it's uh, I'm someone who likes to kind of get it in get it in my my mind, plan in my mind. You know, and uh, look look up to things as in long flights coming up and days away from home. And and obviously now with races being postponed or cancelled, you kind of have you kind of have to readapt every month or every day to 
two new things happening. And um, but yeah, you know, it actually gave me freed me up in, in January to get a few things done for myself, uh, medical checkups, physical checkups, um, and it, it, this extra time is actually going to help me to to be in better shape for for round one in Riyadh in, in February. So it, in the end, it wasn't too bad, although. Yeah, a little bit of a shame not going to Santiago right now because it's it's very hot there. It's normally the hottest race of the year, and uh, we did well there last year. You know, we qualified quite poorly, but looking back at it now, we we learned a lot of lessons not only in qualifying but also in that race where we lost it in the last lap. So um, yeah, I was looking forward to go there. Hopefully, we we we'll we'll end up going there anyway, and uh, try and get some some uh, revenge from from last year's race. Absolutely. Yeah. Just looking back at, at last season, obviously it was your first with a with a new team with a with a switch to DS to Cheetah, and you know it didn't start so brilliantly uh, for you. But then, really, when you got to Mexico, we just went on a a great roll from there. Is that is that fair to say? Um, yeah, I think Santiago kind of took the weight off my shoulders. You know, I I, I was. It was a bold move to looking, taking another step back. You know, I was with with BMW for so many years, and in my mind, halfway through season five, I wasn't planning on going anywhere, and I still had a contract. And um, and then this opportunity came up. Um, I I got convinced that this was a better chance for my personal benefit, for me to be in a better position to win races and potentially titles and it was a very hard call you know I'm, I'm an emotional guy and um, I was very attached to BMW not, not only with a contract or whatever but you know they were my my family my friends in the racing world uh, I did a lot with them they turned me into a professional driver so to, to make that decision wasn't easy and then on top of that we go to Riyadh uh, they are on pole for both races. They end up winning a race. We go to Marrakesh. They are on pole. Uh, sorry, we go to Santiago and they are on pole again. So there was a little bit of not never in, on my mind, but a lot of people around me talking. You know, I, I, did we did we do the right the right decision? And you know, the team we just left there on pole every time. And I knew, like I I could feel how how not. I was far from being super comfortable with with the DS car with the DS Cheetah car. And we were quite close to to being to being up top, so I was comfortable and I and I knew we could do it. But you know, knowing you can do it and actually doing it is a different thing. So um, you know, Santiago already coming from P10 to claim a podium, we almost won that race. That was a big chip off my shoulder. Although we did up we did up losing that race to a BMW car. And then in Mexico, um, again, we did a very, very good race. Uh, qualifyings weren't really coming up to, that we weren't really delivering in qualifyings up to up to that point. Uh, it was only when we went to round four in Marrakesh that we learned a lot of lessons, uh, both in Santiago and, and, and Mexico, that we could improve. And yes, and to be honest, in Marrakesh, we were pretty dominant. I was quickest in FP1. FP2, I would have been quickest. I, I got traffic in whatever, the, the quality lap there. And then we were on pole and we won the race with fastest lap. So that was for me uh, the turning point and the, the in my mind, and it it really boosted my confidence. So yeah, and then obviously after that we went into a four months of of no no racing, lockdown, whatever. So uh, just going back to one that point you you made there is it was a really interesting thing. Not many people would have thought that swapping a, a works BMW drive 
to go to Diestrita, which is a bit of a hybrid of a works team and a and, and an independent. What what was it that, that that convinced you to make that move? You know, yeah, I, I was contracted to one of the biggest and most famous and known brands in the world, which is BMW. You know, it's it's pretty impressive when you land in Thailand or Malaysia or whatever, and you see little kids on the street with BMW Motorsport T-shirts. You know that that shows you how far in all four corners of the world a brand like BMW is. So, uh, and then. But to me, it was more than I could have made myself comfortable and stayed there for a few years and potentially even end my career there. But uh, I don't want to get too far deep into what made me go away because, you know, everyone has qualities, everyone has um, bad things. Uh, and, and, you know, there was a few things with, with the BMW mentality that we were not aligned, I would say. Also, there were a lot of, uh, there were many other uh, works drivers, so it was hard. When everything is okay, it's fine, but when you're in trouble, it's it's quite hard to to get the attention and the help you need to to kind of you know thrive through through the troubles and through the struggles to to come back up. So I didn't really have the environment that I needed to to be super successful, like I was still aiming in in my life. And you know, whenever I was I was racing informally and, and I did a lap in free practice or qualifying or whatever. And then I come back to the pits. I look to the TV, to the timing screen. And there was always a Diesta Cheetah on top, either Jev or Lotterer or whatever. And, you know, I was always like, damn, I wish I could try that car. I wish I could try that car. And, you know, the, the so many things came together and, and I decided to, to do that. But you are correct, you know, changing from a BMW to, to DS, which is a very, it's an up and coming brand. It's, it's also a high end uh, a luxurious brand and uh, you know it's now being involved and in, in knowing this brand from the inside it's there they they are really they have big plans in their mind they want to go places in in the world in the short-term future so it's actually a very a very um, exciting project to be a part of and you know for these guys you know they're really trying to focus their most of their mentality and energy on electric mobility and when you see that we're racing brands like Porsche, Audi, BMW, Mercedes, Jaguar, Mahindra, whatever it is, um, and we're beating all of them. We are beating all these brands that are very, very established in the in the automobile world. So it's a big, big deal to win this championship uh, for this brand. And and it's crazy how how thankful they are to you at the end of, of a season like that and how thankful they are for your efforts and all that. And, and that's just contagious, you know, this, this happiness, this will of winning, how much they want to win, it's, it's contagious and everyone just ends up putting extra effort. Sam, it might have been a, a sort of high-risk move, but it's one that paid massive dividends. You've watched all six Formula E seasons. How did you rate the job that uh, Antonio did last well, year? Well, plainly he had a tremendous season, but what makes it all the more impressive for me was that he did it in a team already populated by a double champion and by someone who had helped to build that team from the from the start, from 2016. Am I surprised that he won the title? I have to be honest and say that before the season, I wouldn't have forecasted it. And I'm also happy to stand corrected in slightly, I suppose, doubting if Antonio could have won the Formula E title because through the Andretti seasons, it, it didn't look possible. Um, and, and that wasn't always his fault, but still... 
there were other drivers and other um, partnerships and, and packages that you would probably choose ahead of it. I alluded to something back in August, actually, in a tweet that I did, and I'll go over it again. In an earlier race last season, a fellow driver confronted Antonio and said, you'll never be champion. And, and, and I saw and I overheard this as it happened. And, uh, you know, it was, it, it, listen, things happen uh, in the heat of the moment and there's adrenaline going and so forth. So, you know, you, I, I chose not to write anything about it at the time because you see and hear these things quite a bit, right? You know, we, we've all seen them happen. So it's all part of the competitive scene. Yes, things are said in the heat of the moment, as I said. And, and yes, I'm sure that the other driver feels a bit embarrassed now or whatever. But listen, it, it highlighted something for me. It highlighted that Antonio was massively underestimated in many areas. And, and whether it's whether it was me occasionally writing something or, or other people or whether it was his fellow professionals like that incident, then, it, you know, it, it happened and, and, and things things then change and drivers get into situations that they go on to exploit, as, as Antonio said. So for sure, he's always had the respect and he's always been a, a prodigiously talented driver. But now he has something above that, I think. And, and you have to say... You know, he fully deserves it because he's put, he's put the time and effort in and, and he's reaping the rewards now. So, yeah, I mean, you know, fair play. I'll write a book someday about some of those stories I've, I've come across. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do the forward for you. <laughs> I mean, Antonio, that's been one of the um, the main things in Formula E is, like, is how competitive it's been, how many different teams and drivers are, are able to win races. Um, we're now going into the third year of the Gen 2 rule, so usually in these situations things um, get even tighter once more. Uh, how do you think that's going to play out this season? Is it going to be even tougher to retain it? Uh, yeah, I think so. There's many, although, I mean, it's exactly like you say, because we're going into a third season with a, with a similar car. Yes, most people have, I think everyone has new powertrains, uh, improved powertrains. The improvements are minor, but they are updated powertrains and improved, um, us included. Uh, we're actually not taking the new powertrain to, to the first race. Uh, it's not ready. It's it's in the works, but uh, I believe it's it's a it's a decent it's a decent uh, improvement from our side. But so are the others. Uh, but at the same time, when I say a decent improvement, we're talking maybe a couple of tenths. You know, maybe a little bit in drivability. Maybe a little bit in how comfortable it makes you feel in the car, but in terms of pure power, there's not much more we can we can do. Um, efficiency also a step forward, maybe a little bit lighter, little things here and there. But so so was everyone else. So I'm not I'm not expecting to win or lose a championship in in having the best car. It's more in having the best team, and that's where I think we we are very strong. It's it's the hours we put in. It's the how much we want to win. Uh, how much these engineers and these mechanics want to win that's all that makes a difference uh the work we do in the simulator the preparation and then the most important thing the execution um you know i i really want to knock on i haven't said this out loud yet but i'm gonna say it now and i'll knock on wood but i have not hit the wall in the last two seasons you know i i have not given myself or my team any extra trouble by crashing uh, okay. You're a brave man saying that now. You are tempted. I know for exactly, <laughs> but I, you are correct. 
uh, and I believe in karma, so I really don't want this to come and bite me in the ass later. But uh, the only wall I hit was when I crashed with with Sinzi, but you know that was more fighting for for position. But actually crashing or whatever, so we've we've been we've been fast but in control. So um, that's been that's been a key, and and you know it's it's as I said, execution is is the most important thing. When we can win, we'll win them. When we have to settle for fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever it is, we'll, we'll do that as well. So, um, yeah, it's it's that's where I think that the, these championships will be will be won or lost. Good to have uh, some support in the background there from uh, from your dog. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier that last year's race in in Deria didn't go particularly brilliantly for you, but the previous year, of course, you, you'd won. Um, what your your thoughts going into that? Of course, it'll be our first ever Formula E night race, and and how much does that change? Yeah, uh, not much. I think uh, knowing the Saudis and how they do stuff, we're probably going to have better visibility at night than during the day. Uh, the track is awesome, probably the most fun track of the season. Uh, yes, we did win that race in season five, but last year, to be honest, we didn't win, and we had a we came away with two points or whatever. But we were one of the fastest cars on track, so. Uh, you know, I was on on in group qualifying. I was on pole, and then I messed it up in super pole. Uh, but I think we were on pole by half a second or three tenths or whatever. So already there, we showed a lot of a lot of potential. So yeah, it, you know, it was my first race with with the Cheetah. I was in the in a in a I, I couldn't work with the team until until October. Uh, so I was in a gardening leave. Put, put I was put in gardening leave from BMW. So it delayed my start with. With the Estacheta, and we didn't, we weren't well prepared. So I could see the car had potential. I had potential together with it, but we we weren't just we just were not ready. So we showed spikes of of speed and performance. But you know, I'm looking forward to going back there. As I said, the track is is a lot of fun, and I think having a night race is uh, is another another factor to make things exciting. I think we'll see the cars at night with nice colors, shiny. I'm having a, a very flashy and different helmet as well. So, you know, this is for me adding to the show, making a good show. And, uh, you know, I think one of the things is I'm really having I'm really having a lot of fun driving and racing these cars. And that makes performance come out a little bit more grown naturally. So and one of the um, the things that all championships have uh, had to get used to were these sort of disrupted calendars, uh, late changes and, you know, reorganizing the way they're going. Barely a week to go by without some announcement or or other. How's that? How do you think it will play out for for Formula E this year? And and what would the, those effects be on things like homologation, the political landscape? Well, it's it's an interesting one at present because with Santiago being postponed and not being replaced, it means that DS Tachita, along with Nissan, Edans, and and Dragon, are now only scheduled to do two races with their season six powertrain. But we'll have to see what happens on that one. I think that story's got legs uh, for us as journalists, let's put it that way. But it's not too, too difficult to see it becoming a, a pretty hot topic. The latest word is that there will be no races in March and that Valencia will replace Paris in April. This is yet to be defined and, and, and made public. We expect that um, in the coming week or so. It's super tough for the teams because... Formula E is all about preparation, as, as Antonio talked about uh, a few minutes ago. Equally for him, it's got to be frustrating, no doubt, because everyone is a, is in a kind of limbo at present. So you, you just have to try and stay focused and optimistic and, and hope that by spring things open up more and that we can get back to a, a decent 
championship campaign that encompasses some of the the races that we know and love with Formula E. You know, your your Romes, your New Yorks, and hopefully, you know, being being British, that we can be racing in London to to round off the championship. But that that is dependent on on things that are way beyond um, Formula E's control, of course. Uh, Tony, you have a, a reputation as being a, a good team player. You know, one of the those guys that's really willing to work hard with his teammate and, you know, drive the team on like that. You moved to DS next to a, a double champion in Jean-Éric Verne. How has that relationship been uh, playing out? For it's him? been cool. Uh, it's been good. Uh, Jeff is, is part of, is or, or maybe maybe one of the biggest reasons, and he turned that team into a, into a winning team, you know, he... He joined them as I left them uh, in season into season three, and I went to Andretti, and I I could see already there was a lot of people there with potential. We just weren't well funded, and then obviously when when I left, that that changed. And uh, with his work, he and his way of, of pushing people, that that made uh, that made that made things very very good for them so you have to respect that you know they're not a, they're a champion also because of that and i kind of joined his team and i've stepped into the team with a lot of respect with him and for him and uh, he did the same and he was always very helpful explaining everything explaining the car uh whenever i, I had doubts um he was always there to to support uh and then yes we did have some heated moments in in the season you know he's, he's a lion i'm a lion and when you throw a piece of meat to into uh, 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 to into two lions, you know they they in, sometimes fight a little bit. So it's it's how it is. Uh, whenever the helmets came off, we were grown ups enough to get things, um, you know, solve things and and get well with each other. And you know we carried on working. And it happened once or twice in a year or three times or whatever. But we were always able to to kind of work together the the, the coming day. So um, you know, when when there's respect, that's that's fine, and I think we've managed that pretty well. But as I said, you know, the Jeff is so talented, and I can see he I can see him working now harder than ever. I think he he's coming in very very hungry, and he's pushing me, and I'm pushing him. So it's gonna be it's gonna be cool to see how this next season unfolds. But I expect him to to be right up there. Sam, were you surprised that those those two lions weren't fighting over that bit of meat a little bit more than than we saw? <laughs> yeah, uh, it was fascinating, wasn't it? I mean, in a way, in a way, not really, because they're two relatively experienced professionals, and they obviously were, you know, pretty friendly from years back. I mean, they've raced together for for a long time, and and they were on the Red Bull program together. That they will have known each other pretty well. And don't forget, it was it was Vern who instigated the approach to some extent back in the summer of 2019 to get Antonio over to Diesta Cheetah. Having said that, when you're fighting for a major title, the pressures are enormous and there is bound to be certain tensions. So it's inevitable in many ways, as, as Antonio said, that whatever personalities you're dealing with, you're going to get little spikes of um, of, of tension and, and um the odd falling out. I there were a few tricky moments, definitely. You know, I, I I tend to go into the garages pretty quickly after the races, and I I do remember in um in a, on a couple of occasions it being tense to say the least in those garages last season. But they they were actually essentially managed pretty well, both by the drivers and and also by the team to some extent. The thing about Tachita is that the drivers get absolute parity. You know, in fact, they take pride in it. So they get absolutely the same 
um, equipment, obviously, but the same sort of love and devotion in, in doing their job. But after that, it's ultimately down to managing situations. And when you have two drivers starting so close to each other on a grid with a certain amount of energy to use and variables like traffic and safety cars and communicating with your engineers every, you know, so many times a lap. And then on top of that, having the attack zones on street circuits, it's, it's little wonder that there is sometimes tricky situations. But but overall, I, I see their relationship as, I describe it as competitively friendly um, at the moment, at least. But, I, you know, seriously, I think there's 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 too much respect there for, for them as people and as professionals for it to become anything other than, you know, what we see, saw last year, which Antonio said was these little niggles that, that tend to get sorted out pretty quickly. Antonio, one of the other differences, of course, for Season 7 is it's now a world championship. How much of an incentive is it to have that accolade and be able to be the first Formula E world champion? Uh, a pretty big one, especially now in the off-season, you know, when you when you say it, when you picture it, when you think about it, the mm-hmm. name is obviously, you know, becoming officially an FIA world championship is, is a big thing. I think when once the helmets are, are in our heads, on our heads, and we're racing it, it won't make a difference on, on the day of the act, on the day of the race. I won't be thinking, oh, you know, man, this is now a world championship. So I think once we hit the ground running, I'll forget about it. But obviously now in the off season, you know, a few weeks and months without racing, without driving the car, yes, it's it's a big thing. You think about it and you see it on, on social media when you write it, when you when you write it down, when you read the Twitters or whatever. So it's, yeah, it's it's exciting for sure. Really, really exciting. Formula E is, formally, the growth of Formula E has been one of the most impressive things I've seen in my whole life. Um, it's now going into a, a critical stage of, and mainly because of the pandemic of reassurance, let's say we are now going, we, teams and manufacturers need now to start planning generation three and they need to start committing to generation three and i believe you know if, if you're the boss of a company you, you wouldn't want to commit to something in at, at this time of the year or at this time of the of the world of the days we're living so it's a tough it's a tough time for everyone for every category but you know and it's for formally especially because we need teams and manufacturers to commit i believe they will i believe for manufacturers, it is the right place to be. It is a perfect stage, not only to showcase, but to develop their their powertrains for them to bring to the day-to-day of everyone everyone in this world. And the racing and the sporting side of things is so exciting. So, uh, you know, I've never had, you know, I love racing the WEC. I, race, I love racing in Le Mans and this and that. But I'm going to be honest, I, I have, as a whole, I have never had so much fun racing as I do in Formula E. You know, my competitors, the places we go to, the parties, the fun we have with the team, the the mix between how relaxed everyone is and how competitive and how much everyone wants to win. It's it's amazing. It kind of reminded me of A1GP back in the day, but in a much more healthy and, and much better, much better, much nicely done. So um, yeah, I really I really love it, and I'm really hoping that. We're going to take that massive step into Generation 3 with even more manufacturers. So uh, I'm convinced that is the way to go. I'm convinced that's what's going to happen, and I'm excited. Yeah, I always used to say it was like a properly organized A1 GP. Yeah, in yeah. I was in A1 for a few races as a rookie, and that was a lot of fun. But you could see like the people running it and everything wasn't, wasn't well organized. So uh, 
this is this is far far from that it's as i said in the beginning of this of this it's it's been impressive to see the growth of for me in such a short amount of time so uh i have no doubts it's 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 going to keep on growing um, Antonio mentioned uh, Gen 3 there. There have been some uh, stories about the cost cutting that the series is going to um, put in place, which is very key at this point in time. Where where are we with that um, process at the moment? Um, well, I, mean, I mean, from a DS standpoint, there's every indication that, that they will commit to Gen 3 and Tachita also appear to be in for the long term. So, so yes, I think they are one entity that will will not change massively in the future. It's a different it's a different thing with uh, manufacturers such as Nissan and Jaguar. I think they're the two that that you would say could go either way. Porsche and Mercedes, we expect to to join DS and, and Mahindra and, and some others in the championship for Gen Three. So, uh, you know, actually. When you, you know, when you've got sort of eight and nine manufacturers as or, or big OEMs as um, as Formula E has, losing a couple, which we did with BMW and with Audi uh, recently, it's it's yeah, it's it's not great, but it's it's not the end of the world, which it could be for other championships. We saw it in in uh, ITC back in the nineties. We've seen it in in WEC um, in recent seasons. But but from Sean Eric and, and Antonio's perspective, with DS to Cheetah, I'm sure they want to be part of it for many, many years to come and, and to be involved in Gen 3, which will be lighter and quicker cars and there'll be a, a recharging element to those races too. There are still plenty of manufacturers in it and now a fully, fully, uh, fully fledged world championship. So despite a few reasonably big hurdles in 21, should the pandemic get under control, then the future is, is pretty bright. On the other hand, the more success that, a driver gets so the more success that Antonio gets, the more pre- prospects he has from from other championships and other things that may may turn his head. That's just natural. We saw him testing for uh, an IndyCar a few months ago, which a few m- months ago, which was great. And from our point of view, it would be mega to see him in IndyCars. But I guess uh, Antonio will will have to wait and see how are things developing there. Are we get we going to see you in uh, IndyCars in the future. What's the what's the latest on possibilities there? Let's just say it's not impossible. Yeah, good. <laughs> Let's leave it there for now. It's it's far from happening. It's not not far from happening right now, but there are talks. But it's not impossible. <laughs> what was the it like driving that car? Because you know, formerly is uh, brilliant and competitive, and you know, a lot of fun. But there's no disguising this fact: the cars aren't massively quick. Whereas a an indie car on a fresh set of tires, I imagine that got your attention. It did definitely. I tell you what got my attention that during that day was that was my first two laps, three laps. Uh, it was five degrees outside and no tire warmers, and then seven hundred horsepower, whatever it is those cars have, in a racetrack in an American style racetrack with, you know, the runoff areas there, grass and walls. So that got my attention, I have to say. Uh, and the thing is, those there was I think. 90% of the drivers were there um, and they just finished their season like the week before. So they were like nicely warmed up. It's not like it was their first test out of the after off season, you know, they were. So those first three laps, I'm, I'm like finding my feet with a new car, new track, new everything. And these guys are coming past me uh, flat out, sideways, locking wheels, spinning wheels. And I thought to myself, Okay, this is going to be a long day, <laughs> uh, but I have to say, as soon as the tires got into temperature and everything, in the end, it's just another another race car with four wheels and a steering wheel. And yes, it's quick, 
and it was a lot of fun. It was hard physically, um, but uh, but yeah, I got I got to grips with it quite well. And then I have to say, the next day when I woke up and I look back at data and videos, I'm like, damn it, you know, I could have gone a little bit quicker here and there and stuff. So I, I think I left a good impression with the team and with the series. Um, you know, Dario was there as well, helping Chip Ganassi guys, and uh, you know, he he gave me a few tips as well. And um, so yeah, it was it was a really cool day, and um, you know, I'd, I'd be keen to do a couple of races there, and and who knows, even a full season someday. Um, but yeah, I've been in touch with with uh, with Bobby and his team. Uh, nothing not, nothing committed to. Uh, you know, we have dreams. Let's say both sides have dreams. Um, things I'd like to do once in my in my career. They'd like to have me at a certain point if they could. So. Let's see. Let's see what happens. Uh, would be cool if it happens. Awesome. If it doesn't, you know, it's uh, it's also fine. Uh, I wouldn't. I'm not in a place in my life right now where I would say stop to Formula E. It's really where I am committed. It's it's. I am, I am, I am the current champion there now, and 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 I wanna I wanna keep winning races, and and I wanna have those feelings of winning a championship again because that day was so special for me, but I have to say a couple of hours later, that feeling was already gone and it only lasts for a few moments. So uh, it's like a small drug and uh, I want to I take it again and, and try and feel that, feel that happy again. They've got some pretty cool tracks out there. I mean, I imagine driving one of those or racing one of those at Road America or Mid Ohio or something like that's gonna could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I I've always said for many years, and I think Sam Sam knows this. Uh, I've always said I I love America and how they do sports in in general. You know, not only IndyCar or whatever, but football, baseball, basketball. Uh, obviously, IndyCar, NASCAR. I'm a big fan of how. It's all for the fans. Everything is for the fans. You know, it's all for the show. And uh, we've seen Formula really going down that route. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why our fan base has been growing so quickly. We've seen Formula One going down that route lately as well. And, uh, and, and I love it. I love it. It's without fans, we're nothing. Without fans, there's no interest from brands, from sponsors. And without brands and sponsors, there's no, there's no fun. There's no racing. So it has to be that way. It has to be for the fans. And um, yeah, they have amazing tracks, amazing cars. Uh, the, the relationship between the drivers and, and how the races develop is, is a lot of fun. So um, I've always kept my eye in, in IndyCar and in America. I know all those tracks. I, I race those tracks in, in the simulator, you know, Mid-Ohio, Road Atlanta, Road America, Indy, all of that. So um yeah, I'm. Let's just say I I know where to turn if I have to, if I end up going there, whatever track it is, I I know where to go. I'm talking of uh, amazing tracks. Um, you'll be uh, doing another season of WEC with Jota and uh, at Le Mans. Uh, what would it mean to you to be able to uh, take an outright win at Le Mans? Yeah, that's that's another big one that I have to I want to click. You know, when I when I was racing World Series and I, I had my my sights set on on F one, I didn't I hated endurance racing. I hated GT cars and I hated all of that. And as soon as I joined BMW, my passion for endurance it, it started growing. And then once I did my first endurance race, it was it's like I got addicted to it. I know I I love endurance racing these days. All, all everything from it, you know, how long it is, how tough it is, having to share the car with other drivers. You know, it, it's you have to you have to compromise in a few areas in your seat, in the setup, uh, when you drive, when you sleep, all of that. So it's 
it's a lot of fun and there's a few things I want to take in, in the list. Uh, Le Mans is obviously one of those and we're in a good position to give that a proper crack. Uh, we finished second last year. After 24 hours, we, we were only 30 seconds behind behind the leaders. Um, and yeah, we're going back, going back with the same car, same team, really betting on continuity and you know, we, we're carrying on with the same tires as well. Everyone else comes from Michelin's to Goodyear, so we might have a small advantage there. Uh, and then, yeah, there's another couple of races that I would really like to to take, like Daytona and the Norch Life. Those two, they are they're the two of the coolest races I've done in my life, along with with Le Mans, Macau Grand Prix. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's it's a few a few ones I want to take. One thing I want to ask you about: there were a few rumors going around that you were maybe going to get an FP1 out in at the um, Portimao when Formula One went there last year. What happened with that? I think I'm going to be 100 percent honest with you guys. There, that was nothing to do with me directly. Uh, what happened there was, I think the guys from the racetrack they wanted to convince the government to sell a few more tickets. Obviously, with the pandemic, they got agreed to sell 30,000 tickets. Only uh, they could have gone up to a hundred thousand or even more, um, and um, and it was the 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 promoters of the race that they went and speak to the teams that if they could get me on on one of the cars for FP one, uh, because I I read it on the news just as you did and I called Tiago my manager said dude what is this are you talking to anyone or did anyone call you he said I have no idea what this is either. And, um, and you know, the teams that we got approached by a few teams, but quite early on, and they all wanted money to for me to be in the car. And I said straight away that I wasn't interested uh, in those conditions. And, um, and yeah, it was a, the promoters kind of tried to, to, to put me in the car just to, you know, if they succeeded, maybe the government would, having a Portuguese driver on track, maybe the government or whatever would have allowed for a few more tickets to be sold and, you know, whatever investment they would have had to make to put me in the car would have been covered or they would even make money on it. So I guess from their side, it was a bus- pure business uh, opportunity. Um, but from my side, to be honest, it, we, we didn't have anything to, to do with that. Is the door closed on that? Because there's obviously a chance that the race might take place there again this year. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is closed. I mean... Well, I say think it's. I'm pretty sure it is. I mean, I cannot say for sure. We never know. Tomorrow, uh, we see a lot of. You know, when when you see guys like Brendan going back to F1 after he's been so close, like seven years later, and you have to somehow believe that everything is possible. But it's not something I aspire. It's not something I wake up dreaming of. Uh, and you know, to, I'm going to be 100 percent honest. I think. If, if you wouldn't pay to play alongside Cristiano Ronaldo in a football match, you know, if if you're playing in the same team as him, it means you're you're very very good and you're getting paid to be there. So, I would I would never pay to to race in a Formula One car. So, I don't think it's fair if you have the talent, uh, you know, not directly at, at least. So. You know, if, if uh, my time to uh, to to have gotten a, a legitimate drive in Formula One is is now gone. So, you know, I'm not chasing it far from that even. You know, I, I watch Formula One a lot. I'm very interested in Formula One as a fan. I have a lot of mates and friends and drivers I've raced against racing there. Uh, you know, I've I, I, I like a lot of those guys. You know, I get really well I get on really well with with Max, Lando, Carlos, uh, you know, Kevin who's just left. Uh, Sebastian, I've grown, uh, you know, Sebastian and, and Ricardo, I've, I've 
had good relationships with them when I when I was their test driver. So um, I just watch it as a fan. I love watching it. And um, but yeah, you know, when when I go racing, put the helmet on in Formula E. That's that's my biggest uh, motivation. So I mean, it would have been keen. Uh, it would have been cool to see Antonio out there, but he, he doesn't need to to do that to to show the level that he's at now. Does no, it? not at all. I think. Um... When it comes to to F one, you know, he he was on the cusp of getting a, a deal in in thirteen, as we mentioned at the top of the show. But I mean, we you know we all know it. He knows it. Um, the story's been told. Um, even Christian Horner knows it. He should he should have had a chance at Formula One, but but he didn't. Um, these things sometimes happen, and it's it's tough. But like we said, he's he's moved on to to some great things in his career. And honestly, the th- the thing with Antonio is that you know he has the respect of of pretty much everyone that he works with or comes across in racing. So from a professional point of view, I, th- I think he's all the richer for it, really. I mean, more than that, he's, he's a great amb- ambassador for motorsport too, in my, my opinion. I think he switched on, he knows Formula E, he knows a lot of the purpose of Formula E, as, as he's previously mentioned. And he also didn't let the bad times like Season 3 and Season 4 in Formula E really really uh, affect him or, or break him. You know, we've seen it before. How many times have we seen it with drivers that they have a poor season and they slip away and and uh, that's, you know, that's effectively the end of their career. So I think 2019 was obviously a pivotal year for him and, and I just see him getting stronger, really, from uh, from now on, which is something his rivals definitely won't want to hear, that's for sure, but I, I think it's true. One memory for me that stands out about his career, um, it's actually not Formula E orientated, it's 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 WEC. And I remember being at the Bahrain WEC race in 2019, and it was the test date, which comes after the race. So that's a gruelling eight-hour event at Bahrain. It was that season, and it was a tough year. You know, he was doing WEC and he was doing Formula E. He'd had that whole situation with moving from BMW to DS Toshita. And um, and getting his finding his feet at the Estacheta, and at Bahrain at that test at nine o'clock in the morning, strapped into his Joe P two, he was there waiting to go out of the pit lane, in his cockpit, smiling his head off, couldn't wait to get out. He gave me a little thumbs up from his cockpit. He was raring to go, and that tells me everything you need to know about Antonio Felix da Costa. I just feel, I just feel like. The fact the fact that somebody loves racing as much as as much as I do, but obviously has got ten thousand times more talent than than I ever have, is is a pretty cool thing, you know. I, I, you get the sense when you watch him race and when you when you deal with him that he's um, that he just loves racing, which you know you can't ask for more than that, really. Getting it back to uh, to Formula E um, for the final part of this, three championships in a row for DS Tachita, one. Can they keep it going? And two, what is it that makes that relationship work so well? Is that for me or for Sam? For both of you, but um, yeah, if you want to start, um, well, odds are not with us. Let's say, <laughs> uh, <laughs> especially informally, you know, in F one, it's easier to be dominant, but informally, is not the case. And the way the championship is designed with with a qualifying system, you know, kind of making the guys who are leading the championship having to qualify first when the track is is dirty or whatever. So. And that's why we see like eight, nine different winners every season, even more sometimes. Um, that's why I keep saying that it's on the execution. There will be days that we will qualify out of the top 10 and it's those days that you have to try and score the most amount of points. So, uh, yes, it's going to be hard. I expect 
honestly, I can expect 80% of the drivers to win a race at some point during the season. So it's going to be the bad days that will determine how, if we're able to do it again or not. I can clearly say the team is working. It's, it's impressive to say when someone wins once, twice, three times in a row now and how hard these guys keep on pushing. It's, that's really cool. And as I said earlier, it's contagious and makes me wake up earlier, go to sleep later, put the hours in. Um, so that's, that's really awesome. Um, but yeah, let's see. I, I expect, I, I, I expect it to be super hard. You know, as Sam said, he, he sees me getting stronger. I do feel that way as well, but uh, there is, and there's one thing I've learned to, to not do is to never, never, ever underestimate any, anyone or any team. So, you know, massive respect to everyone and, um, it's going to be, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun season. Yeah. I, th- I think Antonio's right. I, I see it actually been a similar season to season five, which was 18, 19, the first year of Gen 2, when we had, you know, what did we have, like 36 different winners in the races. It was just crazy, but great for us, great for the fans. But I genuinely think it could be like that. I did a piece today, actually, on the race, which speculated what we may have seen at Santiago this weekend. And I came to the conclusion, actually, when you break down the qualifying um, groups, which Antonio said was was so important and unique in Formula E, and it's it's it, in my mind, it's it's one of the great, uh, not only a, a level, it's not a leveler in in the sense of that, but it means that it is guaranteed that there is action during the race, and it's not popular with all the drivers, but I think in the greater good of the championship, it's a really great thing and actually when you look at that and you look at who would have been in the last group which Santiago is it's very beneficial in Santiago because the evolution of the track is is quite significant you know you've got two rookies in there so you've got Nick Cassidy who is new to Formula E but he sure as hell isn't new to winning races and you've got Jake Dennis who I I believe could be a really really Dark horse, you know, he could be a really, really top rookie in the mould of Roland and Verline in season five, or, or even Rosenqvist in, in season three. And they, I believe, would have every chance of winning their first Formula E race. That's how open it is. And, you know, I wouldn't have been entirely surprised if that would have happened because they're, they're class drivers. Yes, they're new to Formula E. Yes, there's every chance they would have made mistakes or they would have overspent on energy or whatever. But ultimately, you know, they had every chance of winning their first race. And how many championships can you say that in? Not, not many, really. Well, that makes me even more frustrated now that we're not able to watch that race on TV. I'm itching for the championship to get going. I think the same thing will carry on to Riyadh, to be honest. Yeah. Well, let's hope so. And um, you can keep up to date with all the news from the Formula E paddock um, on thehighfromrace.com. Antonio, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. And um, don't forget to catch up with all of the, the latest news on the race. Thank you very much and goodbye.